Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Life of an Average Joe podcast, episode three. Very excited to be here. Um, Again, I will be doing this solo as I'm not ready to put out the guests just yet, but they're coming very quickly here. Just trying to work in the platforms, make sure we can maximize our reach, tweak out a few things and get the videos uploaded first. But uh, I wanted to post this one. I was debating on which one I was going to do. So I had to go back and kind of edit some stuff out. But I wanted to do this one because I thought it would be fun. I thought it could really go on for probably numerous podcasts, numerous episodes. And what I wanted to talk about was music. And it kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, I guess that's, that's really not true. Music is a huge part of my life. Uh, for anybody that knows me, um, they know just how much I love music. I mean, can I sing? No, nobody wants to hear that. Have I sung before? Uh, yes, plenty of times. Can I play an instrument? Not really. You know, I never really got into it. I never practiced the guitar. I know some beats and some things on drums. I'm not great. My sister does drums. I I mean, she used to. I don't know if she does it anymore. Um, I used to DJ, though. We'll get into that. So that's probably as close as as I can get. But I've always just been a big fan of music, mostly lyrics. Lyrics are something that catches me. You know, I've heard so many great songs that I've wished somebody else would sing them because the lyrics were so good, but the song and the arrangement and the voice was crap, or at least not my taste. I shouldn't say crap. That's not fair. It wasn't my taste. And I, but I've I've picked apart the lyrics and, and I've just, you know, for some reason over time, some of those songs have grown, you know, um, because the lyrics are so good. But today, you know, as I was sitting here, I was on Facebook. I don't even know why I bother on Facebook anymore. Probably just to promote. Um, but I won't get into that. Um, and I was looking at music and I was getting ready. I always do a song of the day, you know, and it's, it's, it's called, like right now it's August. So it's my August soundtrack. And I always put a song of the day on. And it's a song that either fits my mood, reminds me of something in particular, or maybe fits the mood of the country or, you know, whatever it is. It, it can be any numerous reasons why I pick this song. And I was sitting there thinking about it, and it popped up. I, this little fact popped up about Rapper's Delight. And you've got to know Rapper's Delight. If you don't know Rapper's Delight, and then you don't like hip-hop. And if you don't like hip-hop, I don't know what to tell you. But it was the Sugar Hill Gang. 41 years ago, Rapper's Delight came out. I was one years old. 41 years ago, Rapper's Delight came out. And it was recorded one time. And that was all I did. They liked it so much. They said, you know what? This is it. We don't want to mess it up. This is perfect. And they did it one time. And I can't tell you how that set the tone for hip hop. I mean, you're talking about 1979. So you're in this weird phase of music. You're, in the, you're, you're approaching the 80s where things are starting to get weird. You know, you've got <clears throat> the 70s rock is dying out. I mean, it's not dead. I mean, you know, Journey still hit there in the 80s. They started off, you know, late 70s, but they got big in the 80s. But, you know, the 70s rock bands, they're, they're phasing out. And a different, different era's coming in of the 80s. Everybody, things were getting strange. You know, hip-hop was making its mark. Not to say it didn't come around before that. We could have a whole podcast on hip-hop. 
But Sugar Hill Gang came out, and that that was huge. I mean, that was so mainstream. That wasn't just from the hood, from the projects, from the city. That was mainstream. I mean, you have you had white people in the suburbs jamming out to Sugar Hill Gang, and that's a good thing. But forty one years ago, I just couldn't believe it. Now, obviously, at one years old, I mean, I probably heard it. I don't remember anything from being one years old, you know. Being only a year old, if I was rocking out to Sugar Hill Gang, it wouldn't be surprising, but I don't remember it. But I do know that it's played a part in my music taste. And it's definitely in, when I think about hip-hop and I think about some of the big tracks that have left their mark and kind of changed and moved the industry forward. So I want to talk a little bit about music today because music is very important to me. You know, it's... um. It's not just something that you put on when you're working out or going for a run. You know, it's not something that you just play when you're taking a a car ride across country or you put your headphones in because you're on an airplane and you don't want to deal with anybody. I mean, it has its place, but what are you listening to? You know, what are are on your headphones? What, What is in your radio? Are you still listening to radio or are you listening to satellite? Do some of you still have CDs? Are you still rocking the iPod? Are you playing it through the, the Amazon Echo? You know, however you're getting your music, you're getting your music. And for me, over this pandemic and this, I don't know, I'm throwing the quotation, I'm doing air quotes, lockdown, um, music has been huge. Because there's only so much TV you can watch. And when I have my son, you know, which is all the time, um, Luke is here. And I don't want to just watch TV with him all the time. You know, I don't want to just sit there and put on Netflix and put on his cartoons or some weird YouTube shows that he watches. We have those days. Trust me, we have those days. But we're, we're into music. He's very much into music. And he has been since he was born. And that's, that's my encouragement mostly. I can't take anything away from his sisters or his mom because they play music all the time too. Um, but I started playing music for Luke when he was still in the womb. I remember taking my phone or taking the, I don't think it was, I don't think we had the echo at the time, but taking the phone, taking, uh, you know, whatever portable device I had, mostly the phone and playing music for him as he was getting to the point where he was moving around. We could feel him move. Well, I mean, my wife at the time could feel him move. And we were trying to see, you know, they, they, they say there's so much research, you know, talking, reading, music, things like that they react to. And I always talk to him. I mean, there'd be nights I'd be getting ready to pass out from working so late and I would just take him in and talk to him. At the time, I don't think I knew it was a him. Um, so even when he was just this little tiny ball of whatever, I was talking to him. But when I did realize who he was, you know, I made sure I called him by name and talked to him a lot. And anyway, but music was key. And I would go through and play some of my my stuff I liked, you know, from Frank Sinatra, you know, to Queen, to David Bowie, um, Rolling Stones. I didn't play a lot of hip hop for him in the womb. I mean, I'm sure he heard it in the house, but... um, I really kind of narrowed down to see, we played Prince, of course, because at the time, 
Prince had just recently, you know, passed away. It wasn't too long after that, which had a huge impact on on me, as I'm sure it did everybody else. I mean, I think to this day, Prince and Bowie are two of the biggest names that I just, man, you know, they just they just took something out of me. But um, I was playing Prince and Purple Rain. I mean, we played other songs, but Purple Rain was the one where he really started to move. I mean, even my wife was like, oh, my God, he's moving. So she would play. She wanted him to listen to other songs. She's a big country fan. I mean, loves country music and just all kinds of country music. So she was trying to get him to move to country, and he wasn't moving at all. And she put Purple Rain on when I wasn't home. And he started moving. So right then I knew that Luke and I were going to be all right. Because, I mean, you start moving to Purple Rain before you're even out of the womb yet. You, you're, you're ahead of most people in this world. So I played Purple Rain. <clears throat> and then I played David Bowie Heroes, which obviously very popular Bowie song. Um, one of his big hits. It's been in a ton of movies and TV shows. Uh, most recently, Stranger Things, you know, Peter Gabriel did that cover of it, which is phenomenal. Um, but, you know, it was in Perks of Being a Wallflower. All, you know, it's been in great, great movies and shows. But I've always liked the song, and it always it always was special. And I know what it's about. You know, it's not about what I interpret it as. Of course, it, it does involve him, and, you know, people have said it's about him and his daughter, but that's not true. It, it's It's about... A guy and a girl during a wartime. So anyway, we'll talk about that later. Maybe, maybe not. But I've always liked that song. So I played it and he moved so much. Every time I played Heroes, he would move. I mean, we're talking move. I mean, it it didn't matter what time of day it was, what time of night it was. It got to the point where my wife was like, look, stop, because I need to go to bed. And I'm already having a hard time sleeping. And it could just come on. I wouldn't even play it for him. It could just come on my my mix or as I had music on in the house and he would start to move. So that became our song. That is Luke and I's song and it has been for the last almost three years now. Um, When he couldn't sleep, you know, Luke, like many kids, uh, did not want to sleep. We had a real hard time with him sleeping. Um, I would literally, before nap, to wind him down, I'd put on Heroes, usually the video, and I would just rock him and sing it and dance in a circle. I would just hum it, I would sing it, and he'd fall asleep. When he was sick, New Year's Eve, not last year, two years ago, he was sick. I mean, throwing up, horrible. My wife was sick too. I had just got done being sick. It was like just making its way through the house and he was throwing up this poor kid and, uh, he couldn't sleep. And I stayed up with him all night and I sang heroes, not, not all night, but just to calm him down. When he's had a nightmare, I, I've, I've hummed it and, and sung it. When we moved and he had to stay in a new place, I would sing it to him so he would be comfortable just recently, about a month ago, he had a really bad stomach virus. It was scary because I thought it was, you know, 
everybody that gets sick, you, you feel they're worse these days. You assume it's COVID. You just have this paranoia. I mean, it wasn't. We had a four-hour ER visit, maybe longer. And um, I think it was closer to five hours. And he, uh, it was just a bad virus. Lasted about seven, eight days. So brutal virus. Um, but needless to say, he was up quite a bit. And when he was just upset from being sick and things happening in his body, I'd sing it to him. It's, it's a song. Now he's old enough. When it comes on, he knows it's Bowie. And he sings it. And he always looks at me and goes, that's our song. So music connects people in, in such a way. And I've been blessed to, to be around some great local artists. And I've been blessed to work with them on many different levels. Um, when I was in Detroit managing a nightclub, I got to be around. It, it wasn't rock by any means. This was techno. You know, if anybody's familiar with the electronic music scene in Detroit, you know it's huge. And you know that Detroit has been the home of techno. Of course, you can sit there and argue and say Europe and all these other places. But Detroit is the is the home of techno. And, and don't argue with me about it because it's true. Um, so I was always into, I don't want to say always into electronic music, but I've always had a fascination with it. Uh, even younger, and from the early underground electronic music days, when they were when they were remixing Cure songs or Depeche Mode was was doing some electronic, you know, within there. I mean, back when, you know, we're talking even before Moby really became big. Um, I, I liked it. I liked the idea of it. I liked the idea of the beats and and everything that came with it. So I was really into electronic from from house to jungle to dubstep to. You know, trance was okay, but I mean, progressive, I'm throwing a lot of things out there. But anyway, so the nightclub was a big electronic nightclub. The music scene was huge in Detroit. So we get not only the local DJs from Detroit that were big and the up and comers, but we get guys from Chicago, Cleveland, Windsor, because Detroit, literally you can look out <laughs> out your window in Detroit and see Canada we would get those guys and they would come over and play the nightclub. And I'm talking guys that now have just blown up. I mean, we had Dead Mouse probably three, four times where he was just up and coming. I mean, this was where you never saw his face. He didn't have the big Dead Mouse head that that the way he does now. He was Dead Mouse. This was the red and white Dead Mouse head or yellow. And he was there. You know, we had Rusco, you know, we had Dara. We had some of those big names. So I was really privileged to not only play for them, or I should say work with them. I was privileged when I was DJing to actually be the opener for some of them or the second opener or first opener or whatever you want to call it. Um, I might know by no means was the best DJ in the world. I, I had a style. I knew what I liked and I did it. Um, but I got to work with them and get to know them. Some I still touch, talk, you know, touch base with today. I have friends that have been on tour with them that continue to work with them all from that meeting in, in, in Detroit. I mean, I remember one time we were having a big, I think it was Memorial Day weekend and 
No, I digress. I'm completely wrong in that, I should say. It was Super Bowl. It was back when Detroit was hosting the Super Bowl. Probably the only Super Bowl that we're ever going to see. But, and of course, everybody was concerned because you're talking about wintertime in Detroit and Michigan. You never know what you're going to get. And it was cold and snowing, but they did a phenomenal job downtown. Not only cleaning it up, but just really making it look like, wow, this is the Super Bowl. And I remember we were doing a post-Super Bowl party because everybody was doing it. And I had Rusco there, um, which, by the way, that's my cat's name. So, yes, I named my cat after the DJ. But anyway, I had Rusco there, and he's huge, and he's been in Dallas. He's been everywhere. Older now, but he's still awesome. Um, and he was there and we were getting a lot of VIPs and we had gotten word that Tommy Lee from Motley Crue was going to be there. We had no idea if it was real or not, but we confirmed that the guy who called definitely worked with Tommy Lee. So we set that up. He was probably came an hour and 15 minutes before we closed and we closed at 3 a.m. So he came or we did last call at 3 a.m. So he showed up completely drunk. Uh, I mean, just hammered. I don't know if he's sober now or what. I, I think he is. And I don't even know what he's doing now. Rolled in with Kid Rock, which is not unheard of because you could literally at times walk down the street with Kid Rock. And, you know, of Detroit, I should say. Walk down Woodward, <laughs> walk down any of the main drags in Detroit. And Kid Rock might be there at a bar. He has no problem being out in public. But he walked in with Kid Rock and a bunch of people I had no idea. Tommy Lee told us that he wanted Rusko to play longer. We went back to talk to Rusko. Tommy Lee paid for Rusko to play longer. I don't think I closed that club till 5 a.m. I mean, that that was just one of those moments where I'm like, nobody's ever going to believe this. But Tommy Lee just paid what I already paid this DJ to stay longer. And somehow I managed to keep this club open two hours later and not one police officer came by. I mean, except for the ones that worked for us. So it was, it was really exciting. And, and from that moment on, I think I, my love for electronic music and techno or whatever you want to call it grew. So I've always been around some cool musicians or met musicians or, or whatever. And here I am in, in Texas now, you know, working in, working the bar scene when I moved down here. And I've been blessed to be able to not only book great artists and work with them and, and, you know, follow them and get to see them and all that, but become great friends with some of these talents around here that I've seen just grow. Guys, you know, that I've watched like Ryan Berg and Matthew Bell from uh, Matthew Bell and the Next of Kin, who started off just, you know, as far as I knew, just some good guys, turned into great friends and have watched them put out an album, watched them, you know, headline some big shows, you know, Justin Tipton, phenomenal guy over there, Whitney Raquel, uh, she's blown up. And unfortunately right now, because of COVID, a lot of these artists aren't able to to really do what they can do in front of an audience. I mean, some of them do some streaming stuff, which has been phenomenal. Uh, Luke and I have watched some of it. A uh, good friend of mine, Prag Padilla, 
is on there. Great. I mean, he's country. Uh, got a great voice. He's doing a lot of streaming stuff. So that's been very cool. Um, but during these times, I've kind of found an outlet, or I shouldn't say an outlet, found other ways to enjoy music. Yes, Luke and I listen to our music. Matter of fact, Luke has his own playlist on on, on the Amazon Echo. It ranges from Bruno Mars to Eminem. He only listens to one song. That's it. Well, two. But I, I watch it because of language. Even though uh, you look at my playlist and there's probably like every Eminem track on there. Um, but he's got the White Stripes on there, Queen, Bowie. Uh, he's very much into Nirvana. Or like he calls them, Kurt. So he's very much. And then, of course, Foo Fighters. He's a big Foo guy. He's been listening to Foo since he was 10 months old. So shout out to the Foo Fighters. Grohl, if you happen to stumble upon this podcast because you're really bored one day. Uh, my son Luke loves you, brother. Um, but th- those are all artists that have been part of my life. I mean, I, I saw the White Stripes in Detroit, which is where they're from, before they even had their first album out. You know, we talk about Eminem. Of course, every time you say Detroit, people are like, oh, did you know Eminem? No, I don't know Eminem. Have I seen Eminem? Yeah, I saw him in concert three times when he was big. Have I seen Eminem before he was Eminem? Yeah, I sure have. What they portray to you in 8 Mile is pretty true. It's pretty accurate. The Shelter is a real place. It's right below St. Arnold's. Um, No, not St. Arnold's. Uh, the brewery. Okay. Um, but it's right below there. Um, and it's small and dingy and stinks. And guess what? If you look like me, you're the minority. And at the time, Detroit was very divided. It can still be divided, but I think now everybody just comes together for the city and for people. But at the time I'd roll in with my friends and there, it was like, where's Waldo? I stood, except I stood out. It's like the opposite of Where's Waldo. It was like, oh, there's Waldo. And it was what it was. You know, some people liked it, some people didn't. But I remember seeing Eminem and hearing him. I I definitely heard him before I saw him. And we did. We'd trade tapes. They'd have mixtapes. You'd have guys in the back of, you know, the back of alleys on the side of the street with their trunks open, selling watches and trading mixtapes, hip-hop tapes, techno tapes. And you could trade or barter or buy. And I remember getting some of Kid Rock's DJ sets when his hair was like taller than Kid in Place. I mean, this is how these guys did it back then. And I remember hearing Eminem. We're talking pre-Slim Shady. You know, pre-Marshall Mathers LP, all that stuff. And I remember hearing him on these mixtapes and they're like, dude, this guy's white. And I was like, I mean, that's awesome, but who cares? He's phenomenal. Like, I don't care. I don't care who he is. He could be a blind chihuahua. He's phenomenal. Um, And I got these mixtapes, and then he was coming to battle. And we went. And he got booed. I mean, he got booed. But we saw him, and I was like, there he is. This guy is going to take it to the next level. And apparently, I'm not the only one who feels that way. When he just sold 2.6 million on his latest, sold it, not downloaded, sold it in the year 2020. That's crazy. 
because everybody just, you know, buys tracks now, now, you know, they don't buy albums or they rip them or they, you know, they don't, it's different now, but sold it is a big deal. So here he is at 44 years old, still one of the best rappers of all time, if not the greatest. On another story with Eminem at the same nightclub, actually, no, this was a different nightclub I ran. Or was it the same? No, it was the same. Um, He came in. Now, Eminem is the opposite of Kid Rock. Kid Rock is in your face, party, will hang out with you, buy you drinks, buy you food, whatever. Eminem's very low-key. I mean, here he was big already. This was after the shelter and all that. Here he was big. We brought him in the side door. He sat at a table. All I said to him was, hey, let me know if you need anything. My name is Brandon. Shook his hand. He was very polite, very nice, and I left. He had a white T-shirt on, track pants, had some kicks on, and I think he had his headphones on and was hanging out with five, six people. That was it. I don't know if he drank that night. I didn't keep track. I know his people did. But he paid, tipped my cocktail girl really good, and we snuck him out the back door. That was just one of those moments where I was like, Eminem was in my nightclub. I mean, this is, this is crazy. And so whenever I hear him now, of course, even if I didn't meet him, I'd still listen to him. I think about that moment. I'm like, dude, this guy who will never remember me ever, which is fine because that's not what he's supposed to do. But here I was, hand-shaking Eminem. And of course, when you manage a nightclub, you play it cool. He might as well just be Joe Blow off the street because you treat everybody with respect in the nightclub. You take care of everybody. You can't fawn over somebody. You can't freak out. I couldn't mark out over Eminem like I was inside. Like inside, the little kid in me is like, oh my God, this is Eminem. I'm never going to be any happier than what I am right now. But M is, to me, when I hear it, I feel it. You know, you got those music, you got those songs from any artist that just reach out and touch you. They, they get you excited. They get you, to, they get you ready and get you pumped or, they, or they, they hit you some way. And Eminem does that. You know, we talked about Bowie. You know, Bowie was such a unique artist. And his songs from Heroes to when he did, you know, Under Pressure with Queen to when he worked with Trent Reznor, I mean, to his latest stuff, Lazarus, right before he died. He knew he was going to die. And he put that album out. And that album, Black Star, is his thoughts and words and vision and everything pertaining to his death because he knew it was coming. So when you listen to that, even if you didn't know he was dying, if you listen to the words, you hear love in there. You hear loss. You hear sadness and happiness. You hear, you know, someone questioning the mortality. And then you know that he's dying or dead. And you, and you listen to it. And that's some powerful stuff. I mean, that's artwork right there. That's art. And those are the type of artists that I sit there and I listen to. And that's not somebody who can just sing and, you know, play the guitar and make an arrangement and make money. That's somebody who, who's putting their soul out there lyrically and emotionally. And that's draining. 
And those are the artists to me that that stick stick out. You know, nowadays we have a lot of music. We have a lot of music out there. But I got to be honest with you, and maybe I'm old. Maybe I can't relate anymore. But I still listen to guys, you know, that are out there like Kendrick and Post Malone and, I mean, Childish Gambino, you know. Those are guys. Kid Cudi, I mean, he's he's getting up there. especially. But Eminem just came out with stuff with him. So I listen to that, but there's no rock out there anymore. It's dead. I mean, you got guys like Green Day coming back, putting out stuff. But I just heard Green Day's latest. And, yeah, no. It doesn't sound anything like Green Day. It sounds commercialized. And that's just... Green Day was one of those bands, you know, when you listen to American Idiot, when American Idiot came out, and it was during the Bush administration, that's who they were attacking. They were attacking, I mean, maybe not necessarily, I mean, I think if you go back, they they were definitely attacking George Bush, but they were attacking his administration and what was going on in this country at the time. They don't come out and say it, but they were. But I, at the time, because I liked George Bush, even though I didn't agree with everything he did, I liked him. I was kind of, that wasn't one of my songs. I thought it had a good beat, but I was kind of like, eh, I don't know how I feel about this. Well, now I listen to that song, and I like that song more now because of what's, I think it has more relevance now what's going on in this country than it did back then. So when I hear American Idiot and I hear what they've done now, it's, it's a little disheartening. But American Idiot, to me, I mean, that's a punk rock song. That is... Punk rock at its finest, but modernized. Where, where is that now? You know, you just don't have that. I mean, you have great bands like the Muse still out there. You know, Muse is out there putting on phenomenal stuff. To me, Muse was like, could have been the next U2 mixed with a little Queen and Nine Inch Nails and some Bowie and, and all those great things, but on a big grand scheme. And I don't know if they just dialed it down or or what happened but when you listen to regular radio terrestrial radio you're not getting more than 10 15 songs repetitive over and over again the hits over and over again that's it you know to find new music you have to go and search for it you have to go look for local artists live you have to kind of search on facebook and social media and youtube or or even through the amazon you know amazon music they'll suggest stuff or spotify has cool playlists things like that but it's not like it used to be i mean i remember waiting in line for concert tickets i mean this was this was my music has been a part of me since i can remember i loved michael jackson i had his glove I wish I still had it. Might want to put it on one day. Who knows? But I loved him. My first CD, yes, CD. I remember when they came out. You know, they were still selling cassettes because nobody really thought that the CDs were going to take over. I mean, I think they were debating, but, you know, the CD selection wasn't huge. But a lot of people were starting to come out with CDs so they could have other options for music. It was the next big thing. You know, cassettes were were dying but people weren't sure was this going to be like a laser disc situation and i remember 
because I had my CD player and I got it for my birthday. And it was a cool boombox, detachable speakers. You know, it was, oh, it had double cassettes, CD player. I was like, this is it. And my window at my house when I was younger was low to the ground. So I put those speakers in the window and just rock out, you know. Oh, it was great. I can still picture it. I mean, I, it was a good quality one. I mean, my parents definitely hooked it up. So big props to them for that. But my first two CDs that I got were Firehouse, <laughs> if anybody can remember them, and Bobby Brown Humping Around. Yep. That was my first two CDs. And I played them to death. And then it was like, you know what? I saw more CDs coming out. I'm like, forget it. Tapes are done. And then tapes were almost as expensive. And then they were just getting rid of tapes. Not only were they selling them for cheap, they were just pulling them off the shelves. So I started to really just build up my my CD collection. And I was excited about that. I mean, you're talking about a kid when I had a surgery when I was younger. I got hurt, something stupid. I don't remember. Um, But I was laid up on the couch. And I was young. I have to, I don't remember, but how, exactly how old I was. But Purple Rain, the album and the movie, it had just, it was, it was blowing up. It was huge. And it had just come out. Or, I don't know if it just, I don't think it, no, it didn't just come out. I had left the movie theaters. It had to have been out for a long time because back then it took forever for movies to come to video and forever to come on TV. But we had HBO. I remember that. We had HBO um, and HBO. This was HBO was huge back then. I mean, it's still huge now, but it's it, back then when it first came out, it was massive. And I mean, you just didn't have it. So it was 1984, I guess. Was that it? Yeah, okay. So Purple Rain came out in 84. So I was six, maybe seven, something like that. Yeah. So depending on when it came out, I was laid up. And I remember my parents said, hey, you stay on the couch, you watch your TV, we're going to go to bed, we know you don't feel good. And the couch, they, you know, the couch was a fold-out bed. It was a cool fold-out bed, too. I remember it being very cool. And uh, I, so they set me up. I didn't want to be in my bedroom. I didn't have a TV in my bedroom. It wasn't like nowadays where everybody's got a TV in every room in their house. TVs were expensive. We had two, and I thought that we were pimps. Um, one upstairs, one downstairs in the basement, which... Again, there's no basements in Texas, so bummer there. But I'm watching Purple Rain on HBO. I snuck it. My parents told me not to watch HBO because HBO used to do after hours. So it'd be like, it wasn't porn, but, you know. But this, this wasn't that late. They just went to bed early. And I, I watched Purple Rain. And I remember sitting there being like, I love this. I knew the songs because I heard some of them on the radio and my buddies had had some, some of the tapes. And I remember watching Purple Rain going, oh, this guy's phenomenal. So when CDs came out, I went back and bought anything Prince that I could, that I could find. And I loved it. And he's been with me ever since. And the same thing happened with Bowie. We were going to a drive-in movie theater and I'd heard Bowie's stuff before that and liked some of his songs, but we were going to a drive-in to see The Dark Crystal. Um, that was the main feature. Dark Crystal, 
Still love it. Just watched Catching Up on the new ones, or, well, I guess they are kind of new. They're new, but they're a prequel. Um, Dark Crystal Resistance, or Age of Resistance on Netflix. Finally catching up with that. It's pretty cool. But anyway, so we watched Dark Crystal, and we were going to leave. Well, they did a double feature. It's big to do double features at the drive-ins. Um, I don't know if they do those at the few drive-ins that are around now, but double features were big. And it was Labyrinth. So it was another Jim Henson-style movie. But my mom was really adamant to leave. And I was like, no, let's watch it. It's supposed to be good. My mom didn't really like Bowie. And I think that's why she wanted to leave. And it was late and whatever. And my dad's like, no, I'll stay. We'll stay. We stayed for the whole thing. So not only did I fall in love with Labyrinth, but I fell in love with Bowie even more. So when CDs came out, I was like, what can I get from Bowie? I had Queen's greatest hits on CDs. There was two discs, and I had them both. And when I realized they put pressure on there, which obviously they had to, and it was Bowie, blew my mind. But that music, here I am, 41 years old, still talking and remembering those moments. Yeah, the movie Labyrinth was great, but I remember it because Bowie had a presence. Because the songs that he sung in Labyrinth were not only good for the movie, they were just good songs. In eighth grade, my favorite band was Guns N' Roses. I was Axl Rose obsessed. I was Axl Rose for Halloween. Had a wig, wore the underwear, crazy. It was awesome. To this day, one of my favorite songs of all time is November Rain. Was it eight minutes, 42 seconds, something like that? What an amazing song. And, and a band to sit there and put out two discs within mere weeks of each other. Unheard of. I mean, you look back at rock back then. You look back at Guns N' Roses back in 90. So eighth grade, I was 91 Maybe 92. I don't know. Let's say between 91 and 92. 90 and 92. You had Metallica working on the Black Album. You had Blind Melon opening up for Guns N' Roses. Unfortunately, they didn't make it far from that that moment. But you had Soundgarden. You had Pearl Jam. You had Nirvana. I mean, that was a wave of rock. Alice in Chains. Alternative rock. I mean, Guns N' Roses transition over, and to this day now, I still think Axel's awesome. Crazy, but awesome. And you have those bands that have just... We don't have that anymore. We don't have a wave of rock or alternative anymore. We just don't. It's, it may be a genre that is dead, kind of, but not locally. You have a lot of influences. I mean, you know, you look at Linkin Park. They took... Electronic music, hip-hop, and rock, and just went together. I mean, merged it together, and they're phenomenal. And we lost Chester, unfortunately, and we lost, you know, Chris Cornell, too. I mean, innovators of music, in my opinion. Anyway, I think what my point is, is that right now, more than anything, for me, Music has helped me get through things, kept me focused, entertained me. I mean, Luke and I jam out every day. Um, matter of fact, for his birthday now, I've got... So I bought him a microphone. I bought him a 
it's just a karaoke microphone. I mean, he's only three. He's, he'll be three in September. So he's got the, the speaker and the microphone stand. You plug it in, and it's cool. Of course, it's almost jacked up now. I bought him a drum set, small drum set. And he had a guitar, but it broke. So I have him, the two I got, I bought him two. One, he can play with one I want him to learn on. And then I've got him two new microphones for his birthday. We literally set up shop and jam out. I mean, we'll jam out for an hour. We'll do probably, you know, Smells Like Teen Spirit three or four times. He just now into We Will Rock You and Bohemian Rhapsody, which he loves, and he sings it. We'll do Heroes, Pressure. Um, what else has he been listening to lately? He likes AWOL Nation. So we'll do Sale or The Best. And we, you know, we bounce through. Then eventually he just wants to dance and we go to Bruno Mars and Justin Timberlake and stuff like that, which nothing wrong with those guys. I can go from Bowie to JT, not a problem. Nothing wrong with JT at all. But it's helped us get through and it's, it's, it's kind of been exciting too because, and of course, Foo Fighters. Um, Foo was the, the first time we've ever did it. We would listen to like three or four Foo songs. And when he was little, I'd just jump on the couch with him and jump off the couch. And anyway, but Foo's always in the mix. So I guess that's why I never, I forgot to mention him. But um, it kind of makes me excited for when he's older and and we can go to concerts one day or hopefully um, take him to live shows, you know, and and see what he likes. And who knows what he's going to be into, you know. But I'm hoping that these moments that we do now and as I continue to grow musically with him that they'll have an impact on him you know he'll remember those moments and those songs and and maybe he'll pass it on to his kids or those special moments that he has when he gets older you know that's the exciting part that's what's great about music you know I mean I didn't even touch on the Frank Sinatra or Dean Martin or any of that and just how big that is on my life I mean Frank Sinatra is my funeral song you know, one for my baby. That's my funeral song. Like in my will, my, it, it, I mean, the what I want to die. I mean, I don't want to die, but when I'm dead, like all I ask is that song is played at my funeral. Y'all, you guys go have a party, drink, play that song at my funeral. It's been that way since I can remember. Don't ask me why. I know where it came from. I think I was drinking one day. Matter of fact, I used to be a big Jack Daniels fan. Not that I hate it now. I just, I don't know, my taste got better. So um, I just like whiskey anyway. But I was used to drink a lot of Jack Daniels. And we'll get into that too. I'll talk about that. But Because um, uh, I got some funny stories with that. And I was sitting at a bar. No, I wasn't. I was sitting on the patio or the deck of a party. And I was, I think I'd just broken up with my girlfriend at the time. Um, but I think I broke up with her. I'm not going to say her name right now, but I definitely know who it is. And I was drinking and my buddy, um, who I'm not going to say his name either, just in case he doesn't want to be on here, uh, came up and was talking to me and I said one for my baby and he said, and one for the road. And it reminded me of the Sinatra song. And since then I was like, man, when I die, I want that to be a toast, and I want them to play that at my funeral. So it's a little morbid, I guess, but at least I got good taste. I mean, 
You can't get any better than the man himself, the voice, the chairman of the board, Frank Sinatra. You just can't. So, anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed this. I'm sorry if I rambled. I get excited about music. I'd like to talk about it. This will not be the last time we talk about music and the importance that I think it has on our mentals, on our emotions, on our soul, in society. I think it's important because it drives feelings out. It helps you release energy. It helps you kind of figure out what to say when you don't know what to say. You know, I mean, think about how many times you've needed to work through those emotions, whether it's anger or love or sadness or happiness or confusion, and you've just played music to maybe calm you down or give you the right words or to really just click in your head so that something can become clear. It happens all the time to me. I think it's normal. I think somebody that doesn't like music, and now look, you may not have the best taste in music. Somebody could say that about me. They'd be wrong, but they could say it about me. But if you like music, you like music. But if, if, if I truly meet somebody that says, yeah, I really don't listen to music very much at all, I don't know if I even want to hang out with them. There's something not right with that individual. And that individual should be watched and put in a book and on a do not fly list. That's all I'm saying. I don't know. Call me crazy. But uh, anyways, don't forget to follow us. Us. I'm ready. I'm ready for my people to be on here. Okay, that's coming. I'm going to have to get this together fast because I keep saying us. But don't forget to follow me. Uh, I appreciate that. We are on a lot more platforms now. Big shout out to Anchor for helping this out. Um, man, making this all possible. Spotify has been rocking. Um, man, we are on so much. Google, uh, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast. Um, we are on so many different platforms. There's no excuse. Follow us, like us, share us, comment. I'm doing the us again. Um, please let me know what you think, okay? These are the raw episodes. They are going to get better. We're going to streamline them. I've got some fun things planned. I'm looking to keep them once a week. So I will have one posted, you know, in about five days here. And I think the next one I'm going to do is the long-awaited beer episode. Yep, I've been wanting to wait on this, but I want to, let's, we're going to talk some beer. We're going to talk beer. We're going to talk craft beer. We're going to talk what's going on with beer. I was going to talk what's been going on with beer. Let's talk about my first experience with beer. We're going to talk about a lot of things. And then we're going to start to get into some fun stuff. I've got some really cool things planned out. And I think, you know, once we get the visuals up and the guests going, I think that'll be really cool. But anyway, continue to follow me. Uh, the Life of an Average Joe podcast, you know, Brandon's Ramblings. That's what it should be called, Brandon's Ramblings. But anyway. The Life of an Average Joe podcast. Don't forget to follow the blog too. I'll have a new blog uh, posted. I'm trying to do that once a week as well. I just got some merchandise in too that I need to get up there, which is really cool. Um, It's going to be connected to some local charities. Um, Just something fun. You know, that's what we're here for. We have to be creative in a world right now that is is hurting and um, needs some positivity or or just something to laugh at. So um, that's exciting. So don't forget to check out the blog, uh, Toy Cars on the Nightstand. Uh, you can follow it um, on Facebook or toycarsnightstand.com. 
Uh, you can check it out on Twitter, all the usual stuff. Check it out. They go hand in hand together. And eventually here, we're hoping that this book will be out, um, let's say the new year, because I'm writing 2020 off. This is all I can do for 2020. I got to work. I got to try not to gain weight, have some fun when I can, do the podcast, do the blog, take care of my son and raise him right. That's all I can do. So uh, no release on books in 2020. Because I'm not quite frankly sure we're done with the chaos yet. So go back and listen to the other three episodes or two episodes and let me know what you think. I really appreciate you guys checking this out. I really appreciate the support. This is not easy. And I hope you guys have a good one. It's Brandon signing off.